Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Taylor Mertens. Taylor is a United Methodist pastor in Woodbridge, Virginia. He's earned degrees from James Madison University and Duke Divinity School. He regularly posts sermons, devotionals, and other theological reflections at thinkandletthink.com. He's also a part of the Crackers and Grape Juice podcast team. And he hosts his own lectionary podcast, Strangely Warm. We'll be teaming up for the next two weeks to bring you a crossover episode experience for the text for Advent 3 and 4. Hope you enjoy our crossover collaboration. I give you Taylor Mertz. Grace and peace and welcome to Strangely Warmed and the Synaxis podcast for this wonderful crossover here in Advent 3 and Advent 4 of Year C. I am Taylor Mertens, the host of Strangely Warmed, and I am hanging out with my friend, the one and the only Scott Jones, the host of the Synaxis podcast. Scott, happy Advent. Happy Advent for... You know what I internet crossovers? I hate that like Sony like has the X-Men rights, so you can never have the X-Men in the Avengers. I hate that. Yeah, that is... Well, so, you know, when, when this recent Avengers movie came out, there were a whole lot of, like, there's this big meme, uh, you know, that Marvel's calling this the greatest crossover event of history. And then people would say, you know, they'd like add to it and they'd say, oh, no, I think this might be better. And there were so many online that people were doing. And I was, tr- I was trying to think of like, what, what's a good crossover I could think of that I could use? And like, I'm on social media and I was trying to come up with something. And I found this great picture of Karl Barth and Martin Luther King Jr. They, oh, yeah, I had that. I have that behind me somewhere. Yeah, they, they happened yeah. to like just be at Princeton Theological Seminary. Yeah. Like on the same day. And they didn't really interact, but there's this great picture of the two of them together. And so many of us forget they're not really contemporaries, but they were alive at the same time. Yeah. And so I posted that and I said, Marvel thinks this is the greatest crossover. I think this is the greatest crossover. Without a doubt, it was the most like responded to social media posts I've ever done. Dude, the best crossover was like this last week, like with MBS, like high five Putin. Like at, the, at oh. that, it, it was it in Venezuela or, or was it Argentina. I forget where they were in South America, but I'm like, those two dudes love no, each other. They didn't man. like high killing journalists. They like killing journalists. They, they were laughing. Yeah. It was like they were oh, yeah. lovers. Like it was. Oh yeah, dude. Oh yeah. They, that's it, man. That, that That's a despotic crossover, dude. Hey, it's Herod and Pilate hanging out. Absolutely. There's a sermon right there. Oh, okay. Let's not go down that path. Uh, all right. In case, um, at least for my listeners, if people didn't listen last week, can you just share a little bit about yourself and what you find yourself doing for the Lord? For the Lord, uh, what I'm doing it all to the Lord. Like, you know, I, I, I do the dishes to the Lord. I do it all. Luther said, do it all to the Lord right now. Um, Pray without ceasing. Exactly. I, you know, I'm a podcaster. I'm, I serve right now at an RCA church as a sort of supply pastor, worship leader. And, you know, I kind of watch a lot of Netflix which, as we said last week, is the golden age of television. If Netflix is the cost of empire, I can live with it. Uh, so great television. Speaking of, of Netflix, um, I watched the series Maniac with uh, Jonah. I'm Jones. in the middle of that. Dude, yeah, it's great. I, I, it got some pretty... It got like very, very uh, stratified reviews. People hated it or they loved it. I'm of the opinion that it's very, very good. Uh, Kerry Fukunawa, the, the guy who directed it... Um, and, and I think somewhat produced it. I, I think he's just got an incredible vision. And uh, oh, yeah, it hit all the right buttons for me. And it's Jonah Hill, right? It's the same, Jonah, 
Jonah Jonah Hill. That's MSG. yeah. He's a fantastic actor. He yeah. He's like underrated. Yeah, I mean, he is stellar. I mean, he's just a great actor and an interesting guy. I mean, I like I've heard him on Howard Stern a few times. He's a very deep guy. Yeah. A very interesting. I think the world, the sensitive. world building that they did. I mean, there's just little details, but there's like the 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 robot that picks up the dog shit on the road. Like, there's just these little things. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's super good. Um, all right. Well, let's jump into the strange new world of the Bible. How about that for a transition? Um, I like that. That's a great essay too. Oh man, it's my. It's probably my favorite, like isolated thing from Bart. I love it. Yeah, the early Bart stuff's interesting. I mean that that. Like yeah, I mean Willimon has a book of Bart's early sermons when he was at Sophenwell. They're they're really interesting. Yeah, I've, I've, it's, it's a good book. Yeah, it's interesting to like to follow Bart's thinking and development like that. It changes actually. This the the book with that you're talking about with the early preaching of Bart. He's got a great mustache on the cover, and I yeah yeah I've yeah. got mustache envy from that. So. He's a good looking guy, the young Bart there. He's he's, he's he looks good. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, let's talk about Micah. So this is Micah five two through five a the one of peace. Uh, all right. Uh, this is just kind of a silly little question, but the first verse here in verse two, but uh, who are one of the little clans of Judah from you shall come forth from me, one who is to rule Israel. How important uh, is it for us to think about that the Messiah comes from one of the littlest clans of Judah? Is that an important detail we shouldn't overlook? I mean, it's in there. I guess it's, you know, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Yeah, let's forsake that detail. <laughs> let's just scratch it. Now, uh, yeah, it's interesting, too, because you think of, like, the Joseph narrative, right? And what, what's interesting is that that Judah, I mean, I, I read that narrative as all about the redemption of Judah. Like, the first time we see Judah, he's conspiring. Then he pops up in the middle of the, of the story cycle, kind of, and Tamar the, with the whole thing with Tamar, and, and he says, you're more righteous than me. So there's an admission of kind of guilt there. And then by the end of the narrative, he's offering himself in the stead of Benjamin for the sake of his father's heart. And so it's like, you know, he's becoming like the redeemed Judah. Yeah. And, and what's funny is because Joseph looks much more like the Christ figure in the whole story. But then Joseph drops out. Joseph is like Gone. never, yeah. he's like not mentioned much anywhere else in the Old Testament. And he's like parenthetically referenced in the New Testament you know, like where where he switches the blessing or whatever on the sons. Like he's not like it's interesting that that that, that whole saga, the longest chapter cycle in, in Genesis is all I think about the, the healing of Judah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. And so there's this like this is one of the things I love about scripture is like we we're drawn backwards and we're drawn forwards like that. And we're tied. We're like we're tied in both ways and, and pulled back. And yeah. Um, and like it makes me laugh, too, sometimes to think about this. So like Beth Bethlehem, Bethlehem is a tiny little town, and uh, you know, of course, I love this detail. Bethlehem means like the little town of bread, and so the bread of life is born in the town of bread. But um, I'm wondering too, like, why the hell weren't more people hanging out in the town of bread waiting for the Messiah? We get these verses in Scripture that he's going to come from Bethlehem, so I'm, I'm thinking like, why aren't people waiting? Like, I imagine Bethlehem becoming this hotbed of uh, of Messiah figure. Like, everybody's waiting and waiting and waiting, but we don't really get that detail. I mean, Messiah, just Bethlehem seems to be like nothing. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder how much, like, also how much prophecies, like, just drop out of people's imaginations. Or, like, it's interesting, like, the Great Commission, right? Which we look at as an evangelistic text mm -hmm. now. Like, that was, like, never an evangelistic text in the history of the church. Like, it wasn't until, like, I think William Carey, or something, that it became like a mission verse. Yeah, yeah. It just wasn't really used that way. So it's like, now it's hard, It's almost impossible to think of it not that way. So I wonder how much like just traditions just kind of get 
dormant, you know, like people mm-hmm. aren't thinking about it, you know? Yeah. Or with the passage of time, I mean, the time between Micah being written and Jesus's arrival, this is a tremendous amount of time. So yeah, it's like in Prince Caspian, right? I think that's one, uh, like they don't believe in Narnians anymore. Yeah. Because it's been so long. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's like, you know, it's just an interesting kind of picture. Like, do you believe that, the, you know, maybe there's just this sort of waning belief in, 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 the, in this hope? All right. So speaking of, of Netflix still, did you hear that, the, um, that Netflix bought the rights to redo all of the Chronicles? That's fantastic. I'm sure they'll do a great job. So they're going to redo it. Lion. They're going to redo Prince Cat. I mean, they're going to redo the whole thing. I think it's going to be great. I'm pumped about that. Um, I think I, I think I might have told you this before, maybe not. But when my son was born, when he was about a month old, I started reading to him every night. And so like in the second month of his life, I read to him the entirety of the Chronicles of Narnia from start to finish at night. So it's like the first thing he does. That's great. But uh, it was more for me than for him. I love it. I love it. Um, all right. So I, I sort of as a transition away from from Micah. Uh, I didn't even talk about the the text that we're reading today. I forgot to say that. It's Micah 5, 2 through 5a, Psalm 80, 1 through 7, Hebrews 10, 5 through 10, uh, and Luke 1, 39 through 55. I got so distracted by conversations about Netflix, I forgot to mention that. So as a transition to the Psalm, the last verse here in Micah is that that he, presumably Jesus, shall be the one of peace. Can you talk just a little bit about how Jesus's peace might be different from what we imagine as peace today? Yeah, I mean, what, what, like, it's interesting. What does Martin Luther King say? That peace isn't the absence of conflict and violence, it's the presence of justice. Like, so there's a sense in which that, like, there's not just, it comes through. I mean, because, I mean, there's a changing of the order. Like, it's not just the sort of healing of the order, there's a subversion of the world order, right? The kingdom is, you know, the politics of Jesus, it's upside down. So there's a, yeah, I mean, the peace comes through disruption, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't come through just quietism, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I, I would add too that some, when we think of peace, we think about everybody being happy, but sometimes the only way for like the Jesus kind of peace is for the mighty to be brought low. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting, he, I mean, this great line, like you're the littlest, you're too little to even be in the clan of Judah, or, you know, you're, you're so small. So he's born in ignominy and and crucified in ignominy. Like, like, like the bookends of the life of the Prince of Peace are not. You would expect Jerusalem yeah. is where he's born or something. But now it's, it's and yet then he's vindicated for all to see. The Son of Man lifted up. So it's like, yeah, it's interesting that the contrast mm-hmm. uh, of our expectations of princeliness. Okay, well let's let's go to the Psalm. Let's talk about the bread of tears. The bread of tears. Um. All right, so give ear, O shepherd of Israel, who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth, stir it up, and come and save us. So we get some language here about salvation, and I always think it's at least worth exploring to a degree. The implication of restoration in the midst of salvation versus something like salvation by forgiveness. So this is like something that Fleming Rutledge talks about a lot, and she talked about it on our podcast recently. So you can talk about uh, salvation in the lens of restoration versus more than salvation by forgiveness. Is there a difference? Yeah, it's interesting. My friend Mike Hollenbach said, you know, rather than ordo salutis, like order of salvation, mm-hmm. just you know, justification, sanctification, glorification, all that stuff. He says, you know, like he'd rather have a big Jesus than than an ordo salutis. So I think it's something to that, like we're that that God that, that like as many ways as were saved and healed. That's like the win- win- like windows on salvation. It's really interesting because at Brian Garrish in his little sh- brief dogmatic outline, which is fantastic, he talks about that you know that uh, a sh- like our problem is alien alienation from God, right? Estrangement from God. And I said when this is like 
coupled with like pride or willfulness, it becomes sin. But some alienation is not sin. It's just alienation. And so like Jesus preaches, you know, comfort to the brokenhearted, right? There's no seem being brokenhearted and needing forgiveness. Although we all need both. I mean, they're, like they're, it's not as if they're mutually exclusive, but it is a different window when, when you're, when your primary, when, when you're, Jesus talks differently to the Pharisees, right? So does John, then he does to mm-hmm. the publicans and the prostitutes. It's a different kind of yeah. um, message, you know? And so, yeah, I think that there are different windows on what it means to be saved. Right. And, and we shouldn't like, like cram them all into one, you know, because it's like, there's 14 clubs in a golf bag for a reason. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. You, you like, like use, use every club you got. Yeah, the way that Fleming has talked about it that I appreciate it is that if if you are wronged, uh, whether it's like physically or emotionally, or whatever, like there's a scar from it. And even if you forgive that person, you still have the scar. Restoration is the removal of the scar. You know, rectification is the removal of the scar that was made in, in, in even with like the forgiveness. But uh, although interestingly, not for Jesus. I know. Scars, I, that's an interesting thing. I know. I talk about this with people all the time, like we're talking about the bodily resurrection. I'm like, what do you all think about this? And, and I'm like, because, you know. At some point, people don't recognize Jesus, like Mary at the tomb or the guys on the road to Emmaus. But then, like, when he does go back, they all recognize him and they want to put their finger in his rib cage. Like, so what's, you know? Yeah, essentially, I was saying that I, I imagine this a couple of weeks ago in a sermon. I, saying, I, I imagine, like, not recognizing him. It's like, let's say you have a childhood friend that you don't see for like 30 years and they introduce themselves and you're like, oh, of course. Oh, and you see it in them now. Mm-hmm. But you do wouldn't recognize it first. But then once you know who it is, you see, how, oh, yeah, that is you. You know, like, it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I love this. That was like the best. I forget where I got that analogy, but that I was like, gosh, that's a great analogy. Yeah, this yeah. wasn't mine. I, I like I'm sure I, I I found it somewhere, but it's it's like in movies when like someone doesn't remember or they don't see until they hear someone sing a song that they heard when they were in childhood or they see them do an action. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's like oh, yeah. mind, and it, I always think about it with the breaking of the bread. Like when they see it, then they like then through that bread they see him. Um oh, it's yeah, it's good stuff. Uh all right. So um this text also talks about God's anger, which is something we we talked about this last week a little bit, but uh you know, um, oh Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? Um so I think God's anger can be somewhat taboo for Christians Day. So what do you think we can say or should say about God's anger the Sunday before Christmas, like the like literally the day before Christmas Eve? Tell everybody that God hates them. No, um, no, God doesn't hate them. God hates figs. God hates figs. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think like we talked about this last week. I think like this this idea of like that the wrath of God is really just the side of His love directed toward the rebellious sinner. So it's not God's disposition doesn't change as much as our disposition in relation to God changes. And so I think that you know there is. I mean, it, there is a sense in which it, like the good news is good news for sinners. So the, 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 the degree to which like that is eliminated is the degree to which it ceases to be good news. Right. That, that there's so like, I mean, I think that, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I think of, uh, but I think that less like you, you like, you need to like tell people God's anger or something and, and more like describe their own sort of waywardness to them. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I often find like, like asking questions, like when you do this or when you do, like I try to get people in their own heads mm-hmm. to think about their own life because that's when I think, you know, the gospel will, you know, work on them in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when like the spirit really grabs hold. Not when they hear like you tell a story about yourself, but when you tell where you ask a question in such a way that it begins to resonate. And if you tell a story about yourself, always look like an idiot. Oh, very like, much so. Like I, it's interesting, like always be the butt of the joke. Like I, I never tell a story where you're the hero. No, you always need to be the sinner in need of redemption. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 
I've, I've done that plenty of times. <laughs> I've got lots of stories of being the idiot. So I use them all the time. Uh, all right. So um, one of the things toward the end of this passage, it's in verse six, you make us the scorn of our neighbors, our enemies laugh among themselves. Uh, do you think a sign that a church is being faith or do you think um, like, like a way to measure a church's faithfulness is if people in the community are laughing at us? Yeah. I think if they're laughing at your stupid signs, at, at like the signs, like, like the message board signs, that's a good, now I, there's some of the signs are just awful. Uh, right. We got a marquee this year and I, uh, the, one of the first ones I put up was seven days without prayer makes one week. Like, but oh, you, God. Okay. <laughs> oh God. And and your, your response is like how I imagine most people felt when they drove past our sign that week. Dude, the best sign I've ever seen on a church marquee is life is as unpredictable as a grapefruit squirt. That's the best marquee church thing I've ever seen in my life. That's pretty good. I, I, I am partial to, to whomever stole our AC unit. You may keep it. You'll need it where you're going. I like that. I like that. I like that one a lot. And or uh, if you have air conditioning, you could put on your church sign, come worship JC in the AC. Oh, dude, that's, I'm going to use that next summer. Uh, Absolutely. That's, when that's hot out. Dude, that's so smart. I got to use that one. I also like um, uh, uh, having trouble sleeping. We have sermons for that. Yeah, that's good. Self-deprecating. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Um, all right. All right. Let's go on to, let's go on to, um, to Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 5 through 10. No more sacrifices. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Uh, I love I love the once and for allness of Jesus' sacrifice uh, and the way that it's described here. Uh, but before we talk about the once and for allness, can you talk a little bit about why God was no longer pleased with the offerings being provided by God's people? Like why did we uh, why did we go from um, everyone provides offerings to to the once and for allness of Jesus? Maybe the meat was spoiled. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you have this sense in which right that that if you are do the rituals, but you your heart is not turned to God, that it's hypocrisy, right? Yeah. It's, it's although it's interesting what Jesus does. Is you get that message in the prophets and stuff, but what Jesus does is totally different. He says it's not even the rituals can't do it. It's not what goes into you, but what comes out of you that defiles your heart. So Jesus even says, like takes it a step further. Like not only is it not, you know, it, it really takes a shot at some of the, of the ritual power, but yeah, I mean, I think that those, those are things, right. That God gave the community as signs of their own healing, you know, that would, that would ultimately be fulfilled in, in God's own sacrifice in Christ. So, I mean, there, there's the sense of the once for allness there that they, that those things were penultimate and, mm-hmm. And they didn't work. I mean, it's obviously like the, you know the the, the people uh, were consistently wayward, right? So it so it it was you know ineffectual at best. Yeah, and I, I think here in verse ten, I think you could take verse ten and preach an entire sermon series or do an entire Bible study on this one verse. And it is by God's will that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Uh, in the United Methodist Church, church I'm a part of, we we have to go through an ordination process. And sometimes when you're going through that, they ask you questions like, imagine somebody comes to your office and they ask this question, how would you respond to them? It's kind of like these, like it's like situational ethics kind of thing. So uh, Scott, if somebody came to your office, somebody who's been coming to your church for a little while, and they say, hey, I keep hearing you talk about this word, that you keep using this word sanctified and sanctification. What does that mean? How would you respond? I would quote Eugene Peterson saying, discipleship is focusing more and more on Christ's righteousness and less and less on your own. Mm. That It's interesting because 
a lot of times like we think like, oh, justification is what God does and then sanctification is what we do. You know, we cooperate with the spirit or something, make holy, you know, you know, that's our obedience or something here. It's like God has sanctified, right? God has made holy. It's not, it's, it's just as passive as justification Mm -hmm. that, that the making new, the the healing, the transformation is, is all God's work. Yeah. And I don't remember who said it, but I love this idea that sanctification is nothing more than just getting used to your justification. Oh yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, 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 the guy who wrote, um, where God meets man, um, Gerhard Forda. Oh, is that where it is? Yeah, it's Gerhard Ford. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. I, but I really like that, you know, that it's just getting used to the fact that you have been justified. Yeah, right. It's living the life of the forgiven sinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah, that that's the means of, of your change. It's not sort of your own uh, pride in your own achievements or something or your own spiritual development, but it's in your, your gratitude. Yeah, for yeah, yeah. Your, your recognition of what has been done for you. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to the gospel text. Let's go to Luke 1, 39 through 55. This is Mary's song. This is the the prelude and then the Magnificat itself. Um, so, Scott, just generally, what what are your first, thought, first thoughts about the Magnificat? I think it's magnificent. <laughs> that might be the title. The Magnificat is magnificent. Yeah, it's interesting, right? This is her song, you know, uh, and it's it's kind of like there's parallels like Hannah's song, right? There's uh, people have done like dissertations on that sort of stuff. Like, But what's so interesting to me about Mary and her response to this is that like Jesus, the miraculous birth story of Jesus is the antitype of all the other ones, right? Like, cause all the other, including Elizabeth, all them wanted a child, right? Yeah, and, and Mary does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, and it comes through the natural means, even if it's a sort of a opening of the womb or something, and there's, it's still through the natural means and, and they want it and that enhances their lives, right? Their social state. Mary didn't ask for the child and, it problematizes her life. Yeah. Like it makes it more, it's not, it's not something that like the other women or Sarah or Hannah, or she's, Oh yeah. Give us the child of the promise. Like she's not longing for this child. So it's like, that, I mean, I think that's interesting that her joy is for something that she, her song of joy is in response to something she didn't ask for or long for. Yeah. It's something offered to her, but not as a response to her yearning or desire. And that it's in response to that. She magnifies the Lord. I mean, yeah. I've really had I have not thought about it that way, but that's really that's really good. Yeah, it shows the utterly gratuitous nature of salvation. Oh, it's yeah. not that it's not even it's not even like the other verse, a, a something she's looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, like and the grace is like that. It's it's unexpe- it's unmerited and unexpected. Yeah, I mean the Bardian language, and I, and I use this all the time. I love it because um, it, it leaves people people scratching their heads, which I think is kind of the point. Like that we worship a God of impossible possibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when, yeah, when, we, like when we say like that God makes a way where there was no way, like that's a God of impossible possibility who, you know, makes life with someone who doesn't even ask for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Absolutely. And I think that's the picture here. Um, all right. So, I, I mean, just to pick on the, the actual Magnificat itself, do you think that uh, a lot of us who hear this, and, I'm, and when I say us, I'll be specifically, like, let's say like the Western church or like even the American church, do you think we hear the radical and the political tones of the song or do we miss it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think it, I mean, probably not. Like, I, I don't think, it's interesting that like, the, the, like that in this pregnancy in this announcement of this miraculous pregnancy her response is these songs of apocalyptic deliverance like that's fascinating yeah you know like or there's the sort of upheaval and writing of wrongs and mighty from their thrones uh, so it's, it's just a very interesting not the typical response i think you would think of mm-hmm. in a situation like this 
Yeah. And I mean, I, I said this last week, but I think it's true too in this week that when we read a line like he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly, very, very often we, no matter what our circumstances are, we like to imagine ourselves as the lowly being lifted up. When in fact, some of us are in fact the powerful that either need to or have to be brought down from our Dude, throne. Franklin Graham and 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 Chafal Jr., they lift up the high. They lift up the mighty. Trump. <laughs> they exalt the mighty. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is like a, an extremely convicting word if you pay attention to what God is saying. Yeah, yeah. And also the degree to which also we are lowly in the sense of our 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 stature before God. Sure, like, you know, sure. Who are we that, you know, we, we, scraps from the master's table sort of you know, thing. Who are we it's, that it's you are mindful of us? Yeah, who are we, yeah it's an interesting... Um, but not in the sense of like lowly, like, Hey, we, somebody needs their comeuppance, you know, mm-hmm. but lowly in the sense of, you know, look, you know, we're like the little tribe of Bethlehem, you know, the tiny tribe kind of. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So like spiritually, spiritually, at least, even if we're people of influence. Yeah. We, we all like, want to talk about like the lowly being lifted up, but we don't want to talk about the powerful being brought down. And it always reminds me of this quote from Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Who said, uh, everybody wants to build, but nobody wants to do maintenance. Like we always want to build, but we want to, we don't want to destroy anything. Um, and like, uh, this is one of my refrains. I say this all the time. You can't have resurrection without crucifixion. And yeah, it's interesting. And there, you think of like all, none of the churches in the book of revelation that John writes letters to exist anymore. I know. I know. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I think it's crazy. And like, yeah, you can mull on that for a while. Um, but you're just going to have to suffice with what we've talked about today until Christmas Eve. So this is Advent 4C, Scott Jones. Thank you, my man. Appreciate it. It's great being with you, my friend. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks again to Taylor for coming on the podcast. Again, you can find him at thinkandletthink.com. And thanks again to you for listening to Snacksis. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.